You are Locked On Hawkeyes, your daily podcast on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Hawkeye Nation, to another episode of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. I am your host, Andrew Wade, back for another show today. And we have Matt Vandenberg with us, as always, to recap the previous game. It wasn't a pretty game. In fact, I was pretty pissed off the entire game, Matt, but it was at least a win. And that's what I ultimately need to realize is that a W is a W. And as you've always talked about in the Big Ten, getting a win is tough regardless of the opponent especially a rivalry game especially when you can tell nebraska came out with a significantly larger sum of energy than they have in their past couple games i was talking to my buddy and had if nebraska can come out with the energy they come out first iowa every game i do believe they have enough talent to at least go 500 in the conference but um, we don't typically see that that being said how are you doing today man I'm good. I'm good. There's 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 ugly wins, but at the end of the day, as long as you put win at the end of it, that's really all that matters. Yeah, I I got done with that game and I thought, man, I am upset. And I, I shouldn't be. I, I should be very happy that we got it when we pulled it out. Closing out games like that are not easy. And especially seeing the defense make such an awesome play on that last play. I mean, that's that's huge. And also on that line, I felt like the defensive line is really coming into its own, especially when people consider the fact that over the last and I'm going on random tangents here. I just had a lot of thoughts of this game. But <laughs> the last two years, we've lost seven starters on the defensive line, including two draft picks, AJ Pineza, Anthony Nelson, and the defensive line is still doing a pretty darn good job of making big time plays when it matters. Last year, that would have been AJ Pineza. This year, it could have been any of those guys. We've seen Zach do, we've seen Chauncey, we've seen Davian, uh, Jack do. I mean, these guys are making plays and stepping up when it matters. Yeah, and what's interesting is that, um, uh, so I was talking to, uh, I was talking to Laura uh, about that final play because I was like, oh, now our streak got snapped you know, of uh, 11 straight games with an interception, whatever it was, because that last one to Van Valkenburg is considered a fumble recovery, yeah. and not an interception. So that part was a little upsetting. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, guys coming off the edge and unheralded guys coming in, you know, like Zach Van Valkenburg and, and making a name for themselves. And anytime you're opposite of Chauncey, I mean, you give yourself an opportunity there. Chauncey is a very unique build, talent, speed all that good stuff. And, and to put that on the, on the field at the same time is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that pass rush move to get, I mean, he just blew by that lineman and Adrian Martinez had no idea he was coming. I also interception or fumble. I like to make sure there's no um, possibility of doubt. And the fact that Zach Van Valkenburg also thought I'm going to secure this ball, mm -hmm. no matter what happens. I thought that was really impressive. Again, it, it probably could have been called a fumble. I don't know. His arm might've been going a little bit forward. Who cares? At the end of the day, we got the ball and we won the game. Absolutely. Like you said, there's no gray area there. It's like the ball never hit the ground. So we don't have to worry. Like, was it a pass? Wasn't it a pass? Either way, we got the ball and close it out. Absolutely, man. So let's, let's kind of kick it off at the beginning part of the game. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Spencer Petrus. We talked about that pre-show. Um, it's something that we're probably going to be talking about the rest of the season. Let's just, let's call a spade a spade. It, we, Spencer Petrus is a hot topic in Iowa Hawkeye nation. Um, but let's start with some of the stuff that happened on the first drive. Um, I felt like Sean Byer had, Probably the most ridiculous catch I've seen this year in college football. One of the most ridiculous catches um, in the NCAA. I feel like he's putting people on notice now. Um, when you're an Iowa tight end, no matter what, you're always going to have a little bit of notoriety simply because of what the guys in the NFL have been doing. George Kittle, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson. When you're an Iowa tight end, you're starting, you're going to always have some looks. But now Sean Byer showing he's not just a blocker. He's not just that guy behind Sam Laporta. He can make some big time catches. And he's been one of our more clutch players this year and making some of those catches down the field. 
And I think, uh, you know, like Iowa tight ends, like although some have been flashy, like the guys you just mentioned, there are other guys that aren't as flashy that get opportunities, like Henry Krieger Coble, uh, who spent time with uh, the Chargers uh, and Denver. And uh, I think Nate Waiting just signed to the New York Giants practice squad. Yep. You could argue that he's not the flashiest guy, but he goes out and does exactly what he needs to do because that's what Iowa does. So yeah. it's it's I don't know if it's necessarily new to see Sean Byer like this. I think the fact that he's getting more passes this this year, I think, is big, um, especially with Sam Laporta. Uh, so being able to divvy up the, the touches between the two tight ends, I think is good. Um, but Sean Byer showed a little bit of what he's capable of. I don't know if I see that every time he's out there. Uh, being, but being able to make a, I think they call them Odell Byer or something like that on Twitter. But uh, at least he was able to make that kind of grab. And that was good. That was really good. Yeah, I mean, huge catch nonetheless. Um, wasn't really impressed with our red zone offense, though, on that first drive. And uh, along the lines of the game, we talked about play calling and the fact that Iowa does script out their plays. They have a, you know, a set of plays they're having for each situation each time, that kind of stuff. But I felt like the play calling was a little bit unique throughout the game. I think early on they couldn't get the run game going, which is maybe why Brian Ferentz was moving more to a spread attack doing five wide. But Iowa is traditionally not a five wide offense, and that was what we saw quite a bit and really especially with without having any sort of threat of a run game I felt like that kind of made Spencer Peters even more vulnerable allowed Nebraska to maybe attack him a little bit more um what are your thoughts on that though and the the use of going to five wide pretty consistently throughout the game so I'm gonna break it down so you were saying five wide in that he has no running back correct yeah there was a running back on the field yeah right so we actually went 10 10 personnel a lot and for those that are listening 10 personnel 10 means so anytime you come down to skill positions, uh, the first number is your running back. The second number is your tight ends. And then whatever's left to equal five is your receivers. So if, if I say 10 personnel, that's one running back, zero tight ends and four receivers because four plus one is five. If you're 12 personnel, you have one running back, two tight ends and two receivers because it has to equal five. So just for those out there that aren't familiar yeah. with that. Uh, so we went 10 personnel. I saw us go O2 personnel. I saw us go uh, 20 personnel. So, I mean, there were a lot of different ways to get a bunch of receivers on the field, which I don't think we've seen a whole lot of that yet. Um, but I, again, when they've got four guys that they feel comfortable with and Nico, Tyrone, Amir, and Brandon, and they feel they can put them on the field, you could argue that Tyler Goodson can also kind of fill that void. We saw him take a little drag route um, and we've seen him catch the ball a lot lately. Yep. Um so, I mean, being able to have those kind of guys that you feel comfortable with, I think that's – it is interesting to see that part of it, but I also think most of it is is uh, quicker stuff for Spencer. They're not going five wide and expecting him to take a five-step drop. A long developing I mean, place. He's, he's throwing uh, – I saw him uh, audible a few different things to Laporta and the boundary, you know, quick outs, things of that nature, um, where he came up and made the decision. He's like, okay, cool. The guy's playing inside leverage. He knows he's got him now. He's just got to get it out a little bit quicker, I think, on some of those. But – um, being able to have him really spread everybody out, understand what he wants to play. One of them that I really liked is we went, um, we went 10 personnel. So one in the backfield, uh, we had a trio to the right, or we'd, we'd call it trio. You could call it Jack bunch, whatever. I've got a bunch of terminology for it, but <laughs> basically three receivers on the right and they were, uh, bunched up. So Tyrone was on the ball. I think Dico was off the ball inside and Amir was off the ball inside or outside and they were all close. And then Brandon's one on one on the backside. And um, we ran a little drag route. It didn't work. We ran like a, I'd call it a drive concept, but essentially we had three guys moving from right to left, but Nebraska went into a box defense. So defense is all built on having more guys on that side than you do. So they wanted four guys over three. And on Brandon, they had two guys over one. 
Um, and so they played like this box defense, which if you just picture a box, each defender has that zone of their box. So they're not going anywhere. Um, if you can get into man to man on something like that, where you've got a bunch to the side or a cluster or a trio or whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot of times that's where you can get people hitting and stuff like that. And you're able to get guys wide open a box. You got to be a little more cognizant of what your route is just because it's zone versus man. And you've got different zone calls versus different man calls. But I really like to see that kind of, uh, that kind of ingenuity or that kind of innovation from, from Iowa showing that like, Hey, we trust these guys on the field. These are our, we trust these guys that they're playmakers and, you know, let's get them all on the field and give Spencer kind of a pick of where he wants to go. I love it. So I have a couple things based off of that. Obviously appreciate the, you know, the explanation there um, from a man versus zone concept on, you know, in bunches or trios, whatever you want to call it. When would you typically want to run man in that situation? Because as you, I mean, I feel like when you have your wide receiver so closely aligned like that, they can create separation pretty easy when you get in man coverage and have a really, as you said, a good opportunity to maybe break a big one there. Um, what would be any scenario where you'd want to play man in there? Um, so a lot of times you get near the end zone, you want to play man, but if they've proven that there's a lot of good zone schemes, like one of the thing, one of the ways to beat a zone scheme is you put too many guys in that zone where you put a DB like, Oh, do I have to play the deep guy or do I have to play the middle guy? There was one that I think, uh, Spencer might've, was it? No, it was actually uh, Adrian Martinez missed. He had a wide open guy on the outside. We were zone. And so our deep zone had to take the deep and our flat guy took the flat well there was nobody in the middle at like 18 to 15 to 18 yards it's like well that's where zone is bad because you're able to hit that kind of stuff usually when things get compressed you start playing a little bit more man-to-man but if you can overload a zone and make a db pick somebody versus playing in the middle then that's usually when you're able to find somebody open absolutely was that in the fourth quarter because there was a play in the fourth quarter where he i think he took a sack or had a one-yard loss but there was a guy wide open on the right side of the field just no yeah, one I think, anywhere i want to say him. it was number 11 i think on the yeah. right side yep uh yeah it was right around the first down marker or something like that yep mm-hmm. i was like oh man i was so glad he he missed it I, honestly <laughs> i thought adrian martinez played a pretty good game all things considered i thought he was a, a big catalyst for keeping them in that game and, and getting the ball moving um so i would say then based off your response you're I look at the, you know, going the five wider, basically spreading the ball out as kind of a concern. You look at it as there's a really a lot of opportunity there. And Spencer Petrus has more opportunity and flexibility with kind of figuring out what he want, what he wants to do with each one of his guys. And you feel like he did a pretty good job there. Would that be an accurate way of kind of summing that up? Yeah, I mean, it's Iowa football still. So, I mean, we need yeah. to be able to run the football and run it effectively in order for us to do exactly what we want to do now. I just think it adds more things that defenses have to get ready for. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people that say, um, you know, sometimes it can be predictable. I've heard that all the time that people say, you know, it's predictable. But when you put things like that out there, then teams have to prepare for more than just what the average fan thinks is predictable. Because now you've got three guys out there that can really start running and humming. No, no offense to Sam Laporta, but I'm assuming Amir and Tyrone are faster than than Laporta. So, I mean, just things like that, um, you know, just preparing your DBs, you have to look for one another, another, um, you know, sort of wrinkle that's added into the offense. But I I do think that as an Iowa football team, you're going to run the football and you need to run it effectively. And that opens up the pass game. And then when you start passing and the linebackers go deep and then you start running it and then the linebackers come up and then you throw it. I mean, it's, it's it's a team game. Everything comes in together. Yeah. All of it is, is intertwined in having a good run game, having a good pass game. And that's why you need to be uh, balanced at both. And usually I was really good at that. 
Yeah, and I would say we struggled running the ball, which is coming into this game on paper, this should have been one of Iowa's most successful running games around. And we saw them pick it up later on in the game. But early on, I felt like Nebraska was doing a really great job of basically saying, you know what, we're going to let Spencer Petras beat us. And they also did a great job, I felt like, of hitting Iowa at the point of attack. Now, there was a couple opportunities for cutbacks. Tyler Goodson, um, you know, I felt like Nebraska was almost over-pursuing to an extent. So there's definitely some opportunities there. Tyler Goodson tried but uh, lost his footing and whatnot. Was there anything else that you saw um, that maybe stopped the run game from uh, being as effective early on in the game? So this is um, this is a team that uh, runs a 3-4, not all the time. They run a 4-3, but uh, for those that aren't familiar, running a 4-3 is four down linemen and three linebackers. If you run a 3-4, it's three down linemen, four linebackers. Um, and a 3-4 a lot of times can look like a 5-2 because you're two, which would be five down linemen and two linebackers. But uh, your outside linebackers pretty much come up to the line. Well, that changes what the line calls. That changes their protection. That changes how they run block because now you're scooping and going, you're blading, you're doubling to the wrong, you know. It's like, well, that's a down lineman, but it's not. You're counting the linebackers as a down lineman because they need to figure out what their call is to make it what they do every day. And Wisconsin usually gives us a little fit because that's the only time we play a 3-4 defense during the year. But Nebraska was in the 3-4 and then they go to a 4-3 and they kind of really, you know, messed around with what their front was doing. Um, and that can be a little bit confusing when you haven't faced it yet, especially in new quarterback trying to figure out who the buck is, because uh, the buck's not the down lineman, that's a down lineman. So now you need to figure out different things. So, I mean, all that just comes with time and we were able to make the adjustment a half and really uh, was able to, we're able to run the ball better in the second half. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, the second half, you clearly, statistically speaking, you can see that the run game picked up a little bit more, took a little bit of pressure off of Spencer, although I felt like Spencer struggled more as the game progressed, which we'll get to in a second. Wanted to get your thoughts, though. I, I started to notice a lot more motion within the running game. Um, they would have um, they would have fullback out, and then they'd have him come up and go into an eye, or they just move him around the formation. I felt like part of that was, um, obviously, you get other guys in the defense moving around. Similar to you talk about changing from a 3-4 to a 4-3, I feel like when you start moving people around in the formation, you start moving the defenders around. They might not be in position or not in the right spot, and it also doesn't give you as much of a tell as to where the run might be going based off your initial um, notion, based off of we you know how the how the formation looks. Is that what you're seeing as well? Or do you feel like they're using the same amount of motion? And then kind of what are your thoughts on utilizing motion to um, help the, the run game get going? So you can run a lot of different things. You just dress it up different. Yep. So um, the defense is always going to hold up like, okay, they're in 22 personnel, which as we talked about before is two linebackers, two tight ends, two running backs and one receiver because that equals five or in there in 13 personnel, one running back, three tight ends, uh, you know, one receiver. But the reason I bring that up is because defenses think they know what the formation is based on what kind of personnel we come out in. So if we come out in 22 personnel, you expect two tight ends, you expect a fullback and a running back. Well, if we come out in two, if we come out in 22 personnel and our fullback is lined up as a tight end, well, defense is kind of like, wait a minute, that's, we haven't seen that on <laughs> film. Like this guy, that's not where he's supposed to be playing. You get, <laughs> you get back into the backfield kind of thing. So it's just a little bit to dress it up a little bit different. Obviously they motioned it back in. Uh, some of those things can help give him a head of steam. I'm not, I, I mean, I don't know how fast Monte is. I think he's a pretty quick guy for a fullback, um, but his job is to find first color and go. So if you can kind of get him moving anyway, it helps out with that. There are some times where he went in motion and came back for a seal block. We'd run to the left and he'd block on the right because we're leaving the D end. So everybody else goes to the ball and then he kind of secures the, the, the backside. 
Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, but they've done it with Laporta where they moved him into the backfield and moved him as a fullback again because we're coming out into 12 personnel and they're thinking, okay, we know what they're doing. 12 personnel, you don't typically have a lead blocker because your tight ends are up on the line. Yep. Well, now they're moving back and now it looks like they're in 21 personnel because they have a fullback. And so, I mean, just different games like that. You talked about earlier playing chess. I think that's kind of where that goes to. Definitely, man. Um, one of the things before we get into the talk about Spencer Petrus, because again, we're going to be talking about him every single show. I'm just, you know, call it is what it is. Uh, but we're going to be talking about him every single show the time, you know, while I was playing football. But I thought he did a really good job of actually running a lot of play action. Um, maybe and it might have been again, I talked about Nebraska as seemingly um, over pursuing to an extent, but I felt like Nebraska was selling out for the run. And Spencer Petrus did a pretty good job of some of his play actions. Um, there was one where the cameraman literally was following Tyler Goodson the whole way. And I was like, I think Spencer has the ball. And then it took another second room to go up and, and we didn't complete the pass, but I thought he did a really good job of play actions and completing those short passes on play actions while on the move, considering he has a pocket passer. Is that something you notice as well? And maybe speak to the fact that uh, people always look at those short throws and, and say those should be easy throws. But when you're on the run, you're six foot five. Um, those aren't exactly like you're trying to throw the ball only five yards and not gun it at him. Those are actually kind of tough throws as well. I mean, anytime you're moving, it's a, it, it's not the norm, right? Um, we talk about, I mean, I mean, Madden has its own rating on, uh, you know, Madden, whatever, 21 has its own rating for throwing the run. And it's significantly lower than, you know, normal short arm pack and short accuracy or whatever it is. Uh, because it's tougher. Uh, but I did see that we got him moving a little bit. We call it, we um, had a few naked bootlegs there uh, where he was coming out. Um, and the second one, I think, where he got the ball out, he did the play fake, turn, boom, got rid of it. Like that, I think, is great. Because a lot of times what happens is if you hold the ball, then your flat becomes like almost to the sideline at two yards. Or, um, you know, so you don't gain anything there because then you just have to step out of bounds because he's moving too. Yep. Um, so, I mean, that kind of stuff is, is tough, but when he got it out quick and I think Laporta got like six yards, like, that's great. You're not, you're not asking yeah. him to go 95 yards on that. You're asking to just get a more manageable down and distance, uh, from the time you complete it. So, um, I think that kind of stuff was an improvement and, and I think you're right. I think the play action, but again, we stayed consistent with the run game, which made mm -hmm. the play action game that much more effective. Yeah, which is something we haven't seen in past games, especially at the Northwestern game where we kind of abandoned the run quite a bit, which obviously hurt us later on. And Spencer Petrus was you know, throwing the ball over. Also, apologies for the uh, the feline that's back there trying to play with some medals. Um, but on the third drive, Spencer Petrus did do a play, you know, did a naked bootleg. And I was kind of, I wanted to get your thoughts on it because it was very confusing for me. He rolls out and Brandon Smith's down the field blocking. He's not running a route. It looked like Tyrone Tracy might've held up on his route or maybe wasn't running a route. And then Spencer Peters ultimately just kind of went down. Um, I didn't understand what was going on there, whether that was uh, designed for him to take it. Was it designed for him to actually hand it off? And he didn't, did, did you, did you remember that play at all? Uh, was he, were we moving right to left on the screen and he rolled to his right? Is that Correct. the play you're talking yeah. about? Yep, it was his right. So um, so on that particular one, um, I didn't see Brandon downfield. I did see Tyrone, but okay, so I'm going to talk about that too. So on the back side, if you're running the cross, uh, you're going to choke it down if you're the receiver. You want to stay in the quarterback's back hip because if you, over, if you overrun that, typically you're going to run into the zone that's playing either the flat or playing underneath the comeback. So if you overrun your zone, you're going to end up in somebody else's zone and then you're not going to get the ball. 
It's also a lot tougher of a throw if you're way out in front of the quarterback and he has to try and, you know, whip his hip into it. But if you stay on his back hip and you're almost even with him, you're a little bit behind, you give him a little bit of room if he wants to sling it there. Um, my only guess of Brandon blocking is he thought he already took off. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> uh, but Spencer doesn't need to take off uh, a whole lot, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, actually remembering what play I'm talking about. Cause like, I'm going to pull this random play, but I was very, it was just such a, an interesting play design. <laughs> like we shouldn't really be designing runs for Spencer Peters. Nothing against Spencer. <laughs> That's just not the kind of quarterback he is. Um, Nate Stanley, I felt like was very interesting at that too. He's almost so deceptively big that they actually did do a couple of runs with him. And when he gets moving, he can actually, the guy can get going. I mean, he ran a four, eight 40. I thought that was actually pretty impressive. Not that this is a Nate Stanley show, but last year he did a pretty good job of doing some read options and actually barreling down on some of the teams. So. Well, that and his lead blocking on Amir's end around. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, in, the, in the bowl game. Yeah. I think that's, I think that should be his crowning. If he doesn't have that framed somewhere where he's even with Amir, he's wrong. He needs to get that up. He needs a, a portrait of that in his living room. I think that would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, Nate Stanley. <laughs> also, just a thought. You Because Nate Stanley and Spencer Petras are around the same height and weight. But it's just me, and this is not anything to do with the game, but does Nate Stanley seem like a much bigger guy than Spencer Petras? Like, he just seemed yeah. a lot bulkier. I think uh, I think Stanley might still have about 10 pounds on Spencer, or I don't know if he carries his weight, but I think <laughs> Stanley's got bigger arms a little bit. And I think that that makes a big difference. You know, it, they always joke when we go 22, the, 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 uh, the signal, geez, Louise, the signal for uh, that is flexing. And so it's like, ah, he's got chicken arms. What is he doing? It's like, no, no, no. Like that's, <laughs> he, he's, he's got the formation, but I mean, they go to work every day. He works out. And I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I just thought it's very interesting because they similarly <laughs> so supposed to have a very similar type of build and frame, but Nate Sanders just looks looks so different um, <laughs> than Spencer. So let's actually get on to more of the conversation about Spencer because um, there were definitely a few good throws. Again, I thought the short stuff was, for the most part, pretty good. But again, the consistency has been an issue. Um, the Sean Byer catch. That was a little bit overthrown on him. Uh, granted, it was a tough window to get into. I think people don't realize with the safety coming over top, um, he had to get that in. But that was also almost a dangerous throw. He made one throw to Sam Laporta that shouldn't have made. The intercept, thankfully, Sam Laporta mm -hmm. nor the linebacker caught it. Um, the interception was just, he had a ridiculous amount of time in the pocket um, and ultimately should have just thrown it away. But he made the decision to just chuck it up. That was a bad decision. And then you saw the missed touchdown to Amir Smith-Marset. Um, I feel like this could probably take up a few minutes. But let's maybe start with the accuracy and then move into um, – we'll probably just naturally progress into the wide receiver issues as well. So what were your thoughts on Spencer Petras? Do you feel like he continued to grow? Did you see anything that was better from last week to this week? And what are some things that he continues to struggle with? I think his pocket presence is really good. Like I think his ability to step up into the pocket. And I think that's important because of his big body. He's not, he's not as concerned. Like obviously a quarterback is going to be concerned about getting smacked, but being able to step up into the pocket, I thought he did that really well. Um, and I, I think that's one of his main things that he's progressed there. Now, uh, as far as accuracy, he was a little bit low on some throws, which I mean, he's aware. Uh, I think Tyrone had one go off his knee, but again, these are plays that, yes, could the ball have been put in a better pos position? Sure, but the receiver's got to make the catch. Yep. I mean, we're talking about uh, lightning-type players uh, with all four of them. Three of them had drops yesterday. And so, I mean, that's that's tough, too. Um, 
You know, I mean, you can't expect your first year starter to put it in the perfect spot every single time. Like after CJ and I had played together for over a year and a half, two years, uh, we got the back shoulder seam ball and we would run that all the time. I mean, because we were able to, I knew exactly where it was going to go. We had repped it and 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 repped it. I mean, there's a reason I went that long because you need that many reps in order to really get good at something. So, I mean, that's just something that's going to come with time. As far as the interception, Again, I think his pocket presence was really good. I think he kept his eyes downfield. He just has to understand who's that running. And so he had Laporta, who was trying to go deep, um, but they were in a zone, so they already had a guy over there. But he was going to throw it deep to Laporta. Like, I'd rather have that be somebody faster who's going to – who you can just lay it up, and that way either your guy makes a play. Like I talked about with Penn State, the ball that he threw to Laporta, uh, Laporta only got one hand on it. Yep. The only guy that's going to make that play is your guy or nobody. Like those are the only two things there. So I, he, again, he kept his eyes downfield. He was able to uh, ev- evade the rush, which again, I think that is all very positive things. Yeah. Uh, just a matter of making the right, de- right, making the right decision sometimes. And sometimes you get burned on it. Sometimes you make a great play. Was, I mean, there were a number of times where CJ would roll to his left. I remember one play specifically Indiana 2015. Um, you're never supposed to throw across your body and he's rolling left and throws it to me who was breaking right on third and 10. We get the first down and like the, third or fourth quarter. Um, so, I mean, is that technically what you're supposed to do? No, but sometimes you find a way to make it happen. And unfortunately on this particular one for Spencer, he didn't. What about, so what do the coaches say when you're watching film about that, when they see a, a throw like that, where it works, but probably was against every principle that you have in, in terms of running an offense, what do they say in the, the film room? I hate that you did this don't do it again, but good job. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, not so. That's usually what it is. <laughs> or, or I just say that, you know, I bailed CJ out or something like that, you know? Yeah. Gotta give yourself a little props every now and then. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I did, I, you talked about the pocket presence. Now that I'm thinking back, there were a lot of times where I felt like the right defensive end was getting a significant amount of pressure on our right tackle. I think Jack Plum was making his first start of his career. Uh, I thought he did, you know, he did a solid job all around, but Spencer Peters did a great job of stepping up when Jack Plum would maybe get burned. Then Jack Plum would, you know, regroup and was able to hold him off until Spencer could make a throw. So you're absolutely right. Pocket presence, something that probably goes unnoticed by a lot of casual mm-hmm. fans, but something that's incredibly important. Again, thinking through, you know, looking down the field, that kind of stuff. Now he just needs to be able to make some of the throws. Kirk talked about it a little bit that he felt like Spencer was trying to um, place the ball as opposed to just throw the ball. And, and Kirk has some different analogies, but essentially it's a, it's a pitcher growing up. He's trying to grow mm-hmm. up and mature in that offense. So definitely something interesting to continue to watch out for. You talk about the drops. And before we got on the show, you mentioned drops versus muffs. I'm curious what the difference between the two is because I, I was trying to think through this. And I honestly can't. So what is the difference <laughs> between a drop and a muff in your mind? So a muff is like 100% you should have caught it. 100% you should have caught it and you didn't catch it. That's a muff. That's a straight, that's the muffin man. That's what like uh, we would talk about. Be like, oh, it's the muffin man. Anytime that you dropped, well, muffed, something yeah. that you absolutely should have caught. A drop is like, it's, it would have been a phenomenal catch. We probably expect you to make it, but it would have been a great catch. Um, and then that kind of goes down as a drop because you didn't catch it. It's like, mm, it would have been fantastic had you of, but we understand that you kind of didn't. So I'll count that as a drop, but a hundred percent, you should have had it. That's the muffin man. Okay. So how how many, so if I'm thinking back to the game, I can think of one muff in particular, I believe with Nico, but the rest I would probably consider drops. Would that be how you. 
say as well? Are, you, are there any muffs that you're specifically thinking of? Uh, to Tyrone's off the knee. I don't know if he didn't get an opportunity to see it when he was coming across the field. I know, oh, yep. again, the, again, these ball placements could be better, but like hey, I was talking about, I mean, once you just kind of relax, when you're thinking about where you want to put the ball, it's a lot tougher. Mm-hmm. But again, that just comes with reps. I mean, that's when, you know, CJ and I would throw, or CJ and really any of us would throw curls all the time. And he knows that when it's man-to-man, he's going to put it outside. I know if it's man-to-man, it's going to go outside. And so he doesn't think about it. He just throws it out because that's what he's seeing. It's, it's instinctual. And when you're thinking, you just end up playing slower and typically you don't play as well. So, and again, that comes with confidence and it comes with doing it and doing it and doing it. And I'm going to say it a lot, getting reps is important. And that's just because they build up that kind of muscle memory. Um, but the, the two to Brandon, I thought he probably could have brought those in. Um, Nico's touchdown, absolutely. I thought he could have brought that in. Um, and then there was another one for Nico. I can't remember what that one was, um, but I, I, I thought that one was another muff. I, I didn't see too many drops. I saw a lot of uh, – anytime the ball's on the ground, it's not good, though. Let's kind of start yeah. there. <laughs> um, so, again, ball placement could be better, but at the same time, I mean, that's – you got to help them out. I mean, as a, as a – and I had my fair share of muffs. I had my fair share of drops, so I'm not saying that I'm not in that conversation because I've, I've done that too. It's just a matter of trying to make sure that your young quarterback is able to – build up confidence and you guys keep the ball moving. Yeah. I feel like this is the first time we've done the show. This is our sixth, sixth show. And this is the first time where I feel like I might've been more positive about something and you were on the, the more not negative, but um, I was going more drops. You were going more muffs. So uh, you're, you're grading them a little bit, a little bit more harshly. there. obviously a former wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I, I totally understand that. Um, as far as these wide receivers though, with some of the ball placement we talked about, so drops can be partly or can be mostly concentration, you know, for to an extent. Um, but how much of that can also be frustration sometimes with inaccurate ball placement? Is that something that even should be warranted as a, a discussion point? So the way I kind of thought about it when it comes to ball placement, if CJ was throwing it low, it's because somebody was going to smack me if he threw it normal. Like that's how I always envisioned it. So if I got to go down and get it, he's probably saving me from a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how I thought about it. So it doesn't really change whether or not you're able to catch the ball. It just kind of changes what you're able to do with it. And I mean, if there's a low ball, typically you're going to go down right there. Um, unless you're able to, you know, make a phenomenal grab and stay on your feet, uh, depending upon how you're moving and all those other different scenarios there. But um, cause I was thinking about that too. I mean, it's, I don't think it comes from not trusting your quarterback. I don't think that's where it comes from. I just think that based on where the ball is, you're expecting your quarterback to kind of tell you what's happening in front of you. So if he lays it out in front of you, you know that you've got room and you can go. And if he puts it lower then you would expect that somebody's coming and uh, is coming to hit you. So I wouldn't say that again, I wouldn't say that it's not trust and it's not confidence. It's none of those things. I think uh, your quarterback is kind of your eyes forward. Once you turn and find the ball. Absolutely. Makes sense. And um, making a transition over to special teams, because we've been on offense the in, the entire show so far. I do love talking about offense, and it's a lot. I mean, the defense, I thought, played outstandingly. Um, we're going to get on to special teams, though. Just a quick reminder to the folks, we are going to actually have Michael Sleep Dalton on as well to maybe cover a little bit more about punting. Uh, I obviously trust your expertise quite a bit, Matt, but um, having uh, the relationship with, with Michael, I figured he'd be a good opportunity to come on and talk about some of the stuff Tory Taylor's doing from the punter's aspect. But I do think it's important to call out special teams because once again, they were phenomenal. Tory Taylor, uh, just a fantastic job. The spin to put on the ball to actually get it at the two yard line, uh, Terry Roberts. I've, I don't know if I would have noticed him without talking to you first, but that's all I can see now when I watch, 
any kickoff or punt, Terry Roberts is always around the ball, making phenomenal plays. Um, I just, I think it's just important to give another shout out to him because what an unsung hero on the kickoff returns. Even I felt like Ivory Kelly Martin, a guy who um, is being slept on quite a bit, a former starter for Iowa is, you know, was returned a few kicks pretty well as well. And obviously was in on a few tackles Um, overall, just the special teams, especially punt and kicks. I thought were just fantastic this season and especially yesterday against Nebraska. Yeah, it's, I mean, it kind of goes back. We've talked about it. That first few punts, you don't know where it's going to go. You know, the wind was moving and, and uh, we were the beneficiary of a Nebraska muff punt. And then we were able to obviously Terry Roberts comes up with the, yeah. comes up with the, uh, the fumble. I mean, it's, it's not unusual to see him uh, flying down the field, making a play. It's just not, and it's not unusual for Tory Taylor to make a great punt. Again, this is game six of his entire life. And we're talking about him like, uh, like he's a nine year vet. So, I mean, like those kinds of things, I think, are very beneficial for Iowa moving forward. Um, Ivo was able to to make some make the most of his opportunities on kickoff. Uh, Sam Laporta, we got to work on that fair catch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, as and it, it was very clear that Nebraska didn't want to to kick to Amir. Oh, not uh, at all. Not after last year. I mean, it was <laughs> no, 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 no. So they weren't going to kick it to him. Um, but I mean, the guys that were called upon to make certain plays, I mean, those guys went out and did it. And that's, that's a, always a good thing. And that's why it's always, everybody's on the field for a reason. It's because we trust you and what we're going to have you do. You know, Ivory is usually the off returner, which means that he's going to lead the way in terms of uh, when Amir's returning it. But also when they don't kick it to Amir, like that's your job. Now you're the returner. So, I mean, just putting guys on the field that are that know what they're doing, do it well, and then they go out and execute. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense why you don't want to kick to Amir. He's a phenomenal playmaker, and especially in a rivalry game like that, that can really swing momentum pretty quickly. But it also showed just how bad they were with kickoff coverage because even when they pooch kicked it to, you know, Ivory, he was getting 20 yards on a kick return while getting the ball at the 10 to 15 and had a couple opportunities to almost break when you break one leg tackle or arm tackle, I mean, and he could have maybe took it to the house. Uh, the Sam Laporta thing I thought was hilarious. Uh, because we got the ball back, but he doesn't fair catch it. He he looks like he's excited to maybe run with the ball. He sees some daylight. And then the next kick that goes to him, as soon as the ball goes in the air, (laughs) <laughs> like waving yeah, his arms, I love that he clearly got uh got in trouble on the sideline there, which I thought was uh, quite hilarious. Any last things on special teams? I, I know Charlie Jones, I thought did a, a great job. Nebraska's punter, um, zero hang time, giving Charlie a, a little bit of room to operate. So again, Charlie, another fantastic contributor that kind of came out of the blue. Anything you want to add on special teams before we hop into defense and uh, Scott Frost being a little pissy um, in his post game press conference. <laughs> Uh, during my time as a prime return at Iowa, Nebraska was always a team that you were able to kind of re- return the ball on. Um, I will say my only fumble in my entire collegiate career was 2014 against Nebraska. It was a punt return, and the punter put his helmet on the ball, knocked it out. Granted, they missed the field goal on the ensuing drive, so our defense came out and, and helped me out. But uh, So that, that's a little soft spot for me. But at the end of the – I mean, in 17 and all those other times, Nebraska usually gives you an opportunity to get a return. And Charlie, I thought he was going to take it back to the house uh, when I was watching Same. it. He was he was cruising. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it's just another another week of uh, fantastic play on special teams by Iowa. Yeah, just fantastic all around. Defensively, I thought they did a good job. I mean, 
Nebraska made a few pretty solid plays. Um, some of their play calling, what they've done in the past, I've watched a lot of Nebraska games, as we talked about. One of my best friends is a Nebraska fan, and I, by default, get to watch all Nebraska games too, which is uh, funny for me, painful for him. But <laughs> a lot of their play calling seemed to be working pretty well against Iowa. Um, I thought they got Wandell Robinson out in space quite a bit. Uh, there was a lot of times where I felt like Iowa was in the right position. They just made the extra move, the extra, you know, little stutter step here and there, and were able to break a few yards. Adrian Martinez, I thought, honestly played probably his best game of the last year and a half. Uh, for the most part, mistake-free football, that fumble – uh, that's not necessarily on him all around. He didn't see the guy coming and he, he wasn't making a dumb mistake. But overall, I thought Nebraska's offense actually played pretty well. Defensively, we held up though. We made a play at the at the end of the game to to seal the deal. What are your thoughts on defense? Though? Anything that stood out to you in particular? Um, so they ran a lot of bubble screens. They ran a lot side to side. Um, and they were able to kind of get yards on there because our DBs uh, on occasion would fall inside, which is tough because then you don't have any contain. Um, so just being a little more sound on the outside, I think would be able to help those kind of long runs up the sideline, but we've got good DBs. They, they make those plays. It's sometimes you just kind of get caught in a position. And as, as I, uh, I feel like I've said it a lot on this program, that's football. I mean, yeah. things are going to happen. So just understanding that and, and, uh, being able to make that kind of stuff. And the more you make people go laterally, obviously they're not going literally, they're not going toward the end zone. Um, so if you're able to make them go sideways a little bit more, I thought uh, that that would be a, a good thing moving forward. But kind of going off of Adrian Martinez as well, uh, he did play pretty solid. I think he only had like one or two incompletions yeah. uh, there for the majority of the game. Um, but when when uh, our backs were up against the wall, I guess you could say, when they were driving to try and take the lead, I mean, our defensive line, as as they did last week, come up, make a giant play and, and close the game out. Yeah, I mean, when you can get your defensive line to make a game-changing or game-sealing play like that, you can be a, a pretty darn good, darn good football team. I mean, that's that's that we're one play away from winning Purdue. We're one play away from winning a game against Northwestern. The team is making those plays, and you love to see it, despite some of the adversity they faced, whether it was missing, you know, touchdown passes or missing the 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 Keith Duncan field goal, which we I don't want to we don't need to harp back on special teams. I thought Keith Duncan did a pretty outstanding job again, right at his range. But the he defense, did make a. I'm gonna quick. I don't mean to interrupt, but he that did was a make good a, kick. I, well, I saw it. Uh, I saw him warm up, and he had a 53 yarder in that same spot. So it's and he had a clearly enough leg. Now Shudek, I think, had uh, 56 or 57, but I mean Keith was at 53 and nailed it. So I mean, those are again, that's football. Sometimes things happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't upset. You're going to kick a 50, 51 yarder to win the or to seal the game. Uh, I, I trust our All American kicker Keith Duncan, and he didn't come up with it, and it's unfortunate. But uh, as you saw in his post game. He doesn't seem to let that impact him very much <laughs> mentally. He's uh, about as tough as you can get, which you kind of have to be to be a kicker. Um, otherwise, there's a couple plays Nebraska got that I felt like was just there's nothing we can really do about it, right? Especially the that third and 20. 29. Yeah, 29. Yeah, that – first of all, I don't think that was a completed pass. Um, I feel like the ball was moving around, but the replay angles were garbage all around. You couldn't see hardly Agreed. anything. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And then also – in general, though, that was a pretty sick catch. I mean, he he did a he did a phenomenal job of trying to get his feet in, and I think he did get his foot. And I still think he had possession. Yeah, I didn't really see a good angle of it either. I was more concerned about the foot um, based on what we saw. So I was actually on the pregame show, so I was in the stadium for uh, the first half, uh, and then Laura does the halftime show. Um, but the angles that I was looking at, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't see anything. I I, I couldn't <laughs> tell if he had the ball. I couldn't tell if his foot touched. 
I couldn't see anything on that. But um, they did a really good job. All three guys were kind of in a similar zone. And like I talked about, you got to pick one guy if you're in the zone. I mean, you can't pick nobody. I mean, you got to pick somebody that – and there was a guy that was deeper, so that's what our guy took. And everybody else was kind of flowing. So we had two guys there as soon as the ball was thrown. Uh, but it was, it was good ball placement by uh, by Martinez. And, you know, I mean, they, they were able to come down with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not, not much we can do there again. That was one of those plays. You just tip your hats. That sucks. Um, I think had they called that an incomplete pass, there wouldn't have been, well, the, the ref they was kind of, yeah, they said confirmed. So like the ref clearly, but he also, the, do you remember the touchdown they got? He said the play stands. So I feel like his verbiage was either off. Cause like the, the touchdown, the goal line um, touchdown, the Nebraska mm-hmm. had, he said the play stands, which again would be that, uh, they didn't have over enough evidence to overturn it or to validate it, but they made the call. So to me, I feel like maybe his verbiage is like he wasn't talking clear. <laughs> I, I don't know that stands did not make sense in that that aspect of it. But sure, sure, whatever. And that's um, just something that happens. <laughs> yeah, I thought Jack Campbell played a really good game as well. I thought he's been doing a fantastic job. Him and Seth Benson at those linebacker spots, um, both younger guys. I thought have been playing really well. Nick Neiman is another guy. Uh, when you look at PFF, he's allowed a ton of catches. But when you look at it in the context of the game, it's a running back coming out of the backfield. Nick Neiman's the one guy who has to get him, and he's taking him down in space. I thought that has been a phenomenal aspect of defense that we haven't really talked about a lot. Anything about the linebackers before, of course, we always have to talk about the big man, Davian Nixon, uh, and Zach, and, and obviously Chauncey. Yeah, uh, that's, that's one thing that I see a lot is that they try to outflank Nick, and he just, I mean, yeah. every time. I mean, it's, it's like a two-yard game. Yeah. And um, that's something that I, I mean, he's just everywhere. He's, he's a guy that's always around the football. We talked about it before where he had 17 tackles. I forget if that was last week or the week before, um, but he's always around the football. You know, you've got that. And Seth Benson, shout out South Dakota kid. Um, he, uh, he got his first career sack. So, I mean, that's a big part of it. Jack Campbell looks long out there. I mean, he looks like a really tall linebacker. He's able to do what he needs to do. And he made a, he made a couple of really good plays as well. So um, as far as the linebacking core, they're uh, outside of Nick. They're relatively young and and uh, they're they're flourishing right now. I feel like and and up front, we already talked about it. They make plays when they need to, and that that kind of goes without saying. Yeah, um, I, the Nick Neiman thing was really interesting to me because I I've been looking more into some of the advanced analytics and then trying to correlate that to what's happening in the game and especially PFF. I, I don't, I'm not sure your thoughts on PFF. I think it is a great tool to use as supplementary knowledge it's not the end-all be-all it's not this is exactly how the player did but it is a good tool to use as supplemental knowledge you look at Nick Neiman and they said I mean I think he's allowing like 80 percent or 90 percent of something ridiculous for passes completed but his coverage rating was like an 80 and I'm like all right something's something's really weird here and so that's why I started focusing a little more and again you talked about it no one gets past him uh also there's nothing he can do when you're doing a little swing route with a running back the guy I mean the guy is literally 10 yards away from him he's going to be able to catch the ball so technically he's going to allow that catch being there but yeah i thought that was really phenomenal the linebacker group and they don't even have justin jacobs on the field yet or a jay higgins a yaha i mean yaha blacks getting some time that they don't even have some of these even younger guys in the field that have a lot of hype around them so the linebacker crew uh after a few years of i wouldn't say inconsistency a lot more just injuries and trying to find the right playmakers and getting people developed i feel like they have a few guys that are ready for the long haul at this linebacker group which is exciting Nick's got those Neiman arms that go from uh, go from sideline to sideline, <laughs> so that that really helps him. He and Ben both got that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Nick join his brother in the NFL. Yeah, man, uh, probably going to be either late round or UDFA type pick. But if he runs well, especially, he could be be a big time player. Um, so that kind of 
Yeah, just got to get on the field, got to get in the camps. Um, That's probably, I think that's pretty much it for what I wanted to cover from the game perspective. Uh, There's one last thing kind of goes more into the press conference. Kirk Ferentz, uh, his, he's getting a little older, seems to not care as much about throwing a little bit of uh, passive aggressive shade. I, I really like seeing this Kirk. I feel like he's uh, basically, people say maybe it's his last year. Uh, maybe he doesn't care. I think he's like, you know, let's just let it go. I'm sick of some of these younger guys, whatever it may be. One to get your thoughts on Kirk Ferentz, passive aggressive shade towards Scott. And then also talk about the, the clapping. Cause I think that is just the most ridiculous thing I've heard. Uh, so as far as the clapping, I mean, usually you got 70,000 in there that's clapping and it's not uncommon for our guys to be clapping and hooping and hollering on the sideline. Cause again, we care about the game and we're going to be invested. So yeah, change your cadence. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, that's that we, uh, um, you know, it's we not have accurate style. anyways. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the fact that they had two messed up uh snaps and we're still able to go down there and score that was a bit unfortunate um but yeah i mean it's it's a very odd thing now granted if our players were like or if our d linemen were right in front of him doing this then yeah that's an issue but i don't think any i don't think we're inciting the the snap count or anything like that this this year is a very unique year in that you know the fans aren't uh, i'm the fans aren't all there. So the, 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 the sound is a lot different and things of that nature, but um, I, I just can't see that one. That one, that one's a bit tough for me. Yeah. A, a little bit ridiculous. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Scott Frost before I wrap up with the last question, which is just, what is it like being in a stadium right now? But Scott Frost has rubbed me the wrong way since he's joined the Nebraska program as a coach, because you look at some of those press conferences and I, I also, Try to, you know, I look at what Kirk Barron says, or KF, as you call him. You know, I look at what Kirk says, and I look at how Scott talks. And Kirk would almost, I've never seen Kirk throw a player under the bus or talk about players in a bad way. It's always him. It's always the coaches. It's always, we need to do things better. He doesn't always hype people up, but he's always very consistent. And I feel like a very, um, he does things the right way. Meanwhile, Scott Frost is willing to throw almost anything and anyone under the bus, it seems like in his press conferences, the players weren't ready. Uh, The players that came here from the old coaching staff four years ago, don't have the toughness. They don't have the discipline. Uh, It's, I was clapping from a, from a a role player perspective. What are your thoughts on Scott Frost? Do you feel like that is something that's annoying to you? No, for sure. If you got a problem with me, let's, let's talk about it. If I did something you didn't like, uh, I mean, you can go ahead and tell them what technically I did wrong, you know, or that I need to do better on this side of the other thing. But to just outright say, like, our players aren't disciplined. Okay. Well, where does that, where does culture begin with? Culture begins at the top, just like everything. Um, I saw a quote, I don't know who it was from, but it was, it was concerning the uh, Iowa State versus Texas. And the quote was like a five-star culture versus five-star players. And anytime that your culture is that good, it's because it starts at the top. It's the, it's the guy. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now where guys um, at the top don't abide by the same rules that the guys at the bottom do. And I think that that's, that's an issue mm-hmm. uh, when guys, um, you know, like KF, KF's the same way. He's like, Hey, you know, what? I gotta be better. If, if, if I'm better then that means everybody else will get better because I'm showing the way on how to be better. I'm the one that's, you know, setting the tempo and then everybody else kind of feeds off that. So for him to go out there and say, you know what? Yeah, we, we, we didn't do great today. Okay. Well then he's going to take that upon himself and like, okay, what do I need to do better? What practice things do I need to change? What, you know, what personnel stuff do I need to change in order to make sure that we get ourselves in the best position to be successful. And I think that that goes a long way when it comes to, 
uh, comes to players and players respect. I mean, players, players work hard for coaches that they respect. They work hard for coaches that uh, show that like, Hey, he's going to go to bat for me. Like I haven't seen KF blow up too often, too often on the sidelines, but if it's a big call, I mean, KF will be in that guy's (laughs) ear, but uh, it's not like every ticker tack call, you know, it's, it's the, it's the calls that mean something. And you know, he's going to go to bat for you if, if something, if he felt you were wrong. Um, But it's, again, it's that kind of loyalty. It's that mutual, it's that mutual respect. I wouldn't go into a press conference and say, yeah, the coaches were trash. Like I would never say that because that's not true because you can only control what you can control, which is you. And if you conduct yourself the right way, you conduct you the way in which you're supposed to, then everybody else hopefully will follow and control what they can control. And that's, that's kind of the problem too, is that too many people are worried about things they can't control. It's like, well, that's not, that's not your job. Your job is to control what you can control and then go based off that. And sometimes that gets lost. Couldn't agree more, man. Um, we talked, you, you mentioned it briefly, but I thought Matt Campbell has done just a phenomenal job in Ames. I wish he would have never joined that program, um, but I also hope he leaves soon. I think it's great for the rivalry that Iowa State is is decent. People are going to hate me for saying that. I think it's great, though, when Iowa beats them, when Iowa State is a good team, it's great for Iowa. But I do want Matt Campbell to leave, get out of the, get out of the Midwest, leave the Big Ten. I don't care. I want <laughs> Iowa State to maybe go back to not being – nearly as good as they, they have been this year. Uh, Matt, I've taken up a lot of your time, though. You are a very busy man. Uh, you got a lot of stuff going on this Saturday. Before we hop off the show, though, where can people find you? I know you're obviously doing some awesome stuff. You have a, a free case of Bush Light waiting for you as well. Um, but what are you doing around the neighborhood, man? Yeah, I got to talk to IA Cub here in a little bit. Um, yeah. As far as uh, as far as everything else, uh, real estate agent at the Bales team at Urban Anchors Real Estate. So uh, helping helping a few transactions right now. I actually got a few showings going on tomorrow where I got to help some people hopefully find the, the home of their dreams and, and, uh, and moving forward, help some people, uh, you know, get out of their situation so they can move on to the home of their dreams. So uh, a lot of that kind of stuff coming up and uh, Laura will be on the pregame show December 12th, I believe before the Wisconsin game. So I'll be on again before that, but uh, she'll be on doing the pregame show for a solid two hours. It gets pretty chilly. She needs a, I told her she needs to get a space heater because that was yeah. pretty windy when we were there yesterday. I can only um, imagine. But, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, that, that's about what we got going on. I love many. I definitely make sure to go check out that two hour pregame show. It is fantastic. Lots of great people on there covering everything you need to know before the Iowa game. Matt, it's always a pleasure having you on. Always enjoy talking Iowa football, even especially after a win. We'll be back next weekend though. Um, have a great day, buddy. Sounds good, Andrew. Thank you. All right, that concludes our show today. Hope you enjoyed the Monday morning recap with Matt. We'll be back on Monday, on actual Monday morning, uh, dropping a new episode. We're also going to have Michael Sleep Dalton on to talk a little bit more about Tory Taylor and what he's doing from a punting aspect, and then obviously get into more of your Iowa Hawkeye news and notes, breaking down the basketball games that happened over this weekend and talking about what's to come next week. So stay tuned for that. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe wherever you downloaded this podcast at so you can get all of your episodes, or all of our episodes, I should say, downloaded directly to your smart device each and every weekday morning because we are a weekly show covering your Iowa Hawkeyes. Again, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and as always, let's go Hawks.